prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word that you would open our hearts as we consider worship of you, what that means, what should be coming from our hearts and our lives. Heavenly Father, we praise you today. We've done this in song. We've done this in lessons today as we've as we've cared and loved on each other, bring honor and glory to you, a way of worship as well. Be with us now. Open our hearts as Brother Carr prayed that if there are any that are lost today, that they would come to know you as their Savior, that they would realize their need for salvation before it is too late. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Psalm 95. Today we are on the last of the values that define us as Friendship Baptist Church. Now, I'm sure there are many more, but we've settled on these six that we, we spent a great deal of time solidifying these. God put it on the heart of the pastor and the charter members to constitute Friendship Missionary Baptist Church in 1949. Yes, that's our full name uh, when we were constituted as a church. 75 years later, we stand here as a product of God's blessings and the direction throughout those years. Amen? I hope you believe that. Over that time, there have been some defining values that have made us who we are and that God has used to guide our decisions along the way. Over the past five weeks, we have, and I thank Brother Bill and and, uh, Rick uh, Blankenship for putting that up and Brother, Rick, or Brother Bill came in each week and took one of those down. I appreciate him doing that for us. Uh, over the past week, though, that we've seen, first off, that the Bible guides us to the Lord. Next, we saw how prayer empowers us by Him. Then integrity, it drives us in Him. Missions, they motivate us for Him. And last week, we looked at relationships, how they encourage us with Him. And today... We finish with not something that's the least, but we thought this was the, the focus at the end that would circle this out. And we finish up with worship focuses, focuses us on Him. It focuses us on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope to speak from my heart to you today as, as we look at this and that just it is essential for us to be in the Word of God. It is essential for us to pray But worship shows who we hold the highest in our life. Worship shows who we hold in the highest in our life. The word worship in many churches has been uh, become synonymous with what? What? If I say worship, what is that synonymous with in most churches in America? What? Music. Or a part of a church service. Now, I don't have a specific problem with uh, that being uh, a term for worship other than singing and music are just one part, one layer of what it means to truly worship the Lord. So, for an example, let's, let's use this common phrase. He worships the ground you walk on. Every wife is like, oh, I wish that were true. <laughs> right? He worships the ground you walk on. Does anyone here, when I say that phrase, does anyone think, oh, that means he's singing? No, no, not at all. We don't think that way. It means you are the center of that guy's desire and praise. 
So when we worship the Lord, our worship focuses us on the Lord. He becomes the one who receives our praise. He becomes the one who we desire to satisfy with our life, to bring honor to him. But we'll also see that worshiping the Lord is also, he becomes the one we acknowledge to be in control in all times and in through all circumstances of our life. Uh, I remember very specifically when I was brought uh, on staff, uh, my original, you know, we, you get a job title. My original job title was music director. They were very specific to not use the term worship leader. And although I don't have a major beef with that term, it is misleading. A worship leader is misleading because, as we'll see, it excludes so many other parts of what worship truly is. So let's open to Psalm 95, verse 6. And as you open, I pray that you worship the Lord in your life. I pray that God works this in your life today. And if you don't today, that you will learn how to worship the Lord and begin to do so. We find ourselves in verse 6. He says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Now, I have chosen this uh, out of hundreds of verses from the Psalms, but here in this verse, the psalmist gives us some areas of worship to consider in our life. First thing I want us to see is worship is voluntary. Worship is voluntary. Oh, come, let us worship. It's not, oh, do this. Oh, come, let us worship. This psalmist is urging, he is compelling, encouraging the listener to worship the Lord. Worship isn't something that we turn on at a certain time. Worship isn't something that we manufacture. Now, there are certain things that people emotionally feel like they're worshiping, but that's not always worship. It can't be manufactured. Worship isn't evoked by manipulating or taking your emotions and keying them up. It is also, in music, it is not just a key change that, oh, it became more exciting. All of those are wonderful things in music, but that is not what worship is. I can remember as a kid when, uh, when uh, certain songs first started coming out and, and um, we had a gentleman that came to our church and he would go and go and go and go and go and go with this music until eventually people were worked up into an emotional tizzy. Oh, how we've worshipped the Lord. No, <laughs> that is manipulation of your emotions. That is not the same thing as allowing... During a song, allow the Holy Spirit comes and you, you truly start to praise the Lord. Completely different things. And we're going to see that as we look at this today. Worship begins when you voluntarily praise the Lord. It could start in your time of prayer. It could start when you are looking at the day ahead of you. And you're praising the Lord and you're worshiping the Lord for what he's put into your life and what, who he is in your life as you might even go through a struggle in your life. You worship the Lord. It could start when you're going over your day at the end of the day, when you're sitting at the kitchen table at dinner and you're praising the Lord for bringing you through that day or the blessings that came from that day. It could start when you're watching other people serve the Lord. 
I had this Wednesday night. Brother Rick was, was preaching, and I had some counseling I was doing, and so I didn't get in right away. So after, this, after that, I, I decided I'm going to go down and see our teens. And I got to watch our teens as they were excited, and they were serving the Lord, and they were lifting up His name. They were playing games, and I saw just countless youth leaders and youth helpers serving these kids, pouring their life into them. And I worship the Lord. I thank the Lord for that. And I come upstairs and, and there on the wall, Brother Greg has this paper on the wall because why? Those kids had earned an opportunity to put a pie in the face of one of their leaders. Now that's just fun stuff, right? But they're, they're loving and they're pouring themselves into these kids. And we see as they, they start to hide God's word in their heart, that just doesn't happen by itself. People were serving the Lord, and, and you come on Saturday and you see hundreds and hundreds of volunteers and as it goes on. I worship the Lord when I see other people serving each other. As we have folks that have been away, some that are just back here for the first time, good to have you back from your sicknesses. And, and we get to see how people have sent cards and how they've gone to houses and, they, and they've given meals and they're taking care of each other. They're doing exactly what we were talked about last week, how relationships encourage us. But from that, there's a worship that comes out of us. Thank you, Lord, for, for putting these people in our lives. And thank you, Lord, for giving us these opportunities. It also should, could come as, as you're up here, as you're singing your songs, as you're in the pew singing a song, or, or you're using your instrument that you play, or, and, and you're lifting up the name of God. That's part of it as well. It could be as you're sitting there listening to someone play, or to sing, or, or to teach a lesson, or to, or, or to preach the Word of God, and, and any of those. And it could be in any moment of your day when you look to the Lord and you worship Him. All of these hundreds and many of hundreds of things and many more we could say, they're all voluntary on our part because we see it. And the Lord instructs us not to forsake our assembling of ourselves together, right? We're here today. So the Bible tells us we're supposed to come together, but only you can choose to worship. We can't force you to worship the Lord. You could be singing words. You could be listening to a lesson. I hope you're listening to me now, right? But I can't force you to worship the Lord. That's upon you to decide that. The, the whole phrase, and pardon me for using this comparison, but you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? We can't force each other to worship the Lord, and this applies to us. Don't get upset about calling you a horse. I didn't mean it that way, all right? When we decide to worship the Lord, it focuses us on Him. Our minds and our hearts are no longer stuck on the, the sin that's around us, the problems uh, of this world, but now we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for who He is. We see what He has done. We see what He is doing in our lives, even in struggles and trials in our life. We, he becomes the center of our praise and it focuses us and renews our heart and our mind. In Acts 17, where Brother Rick will be this coming Wednesday, we see the perfect example of this. I won't go too far and take it from you from Wednesday night. But the Apostle Paul, he's on his second missionary journey. He's got his, his new partner Silas with him and he gets arrested in the city of Philippi. In this city, he, he goes through a trial. Real quick, it's a sham. I mean, he, it's just a sham of a trial. He gets beaten, and he gets thrown in prison. Put yourself there. 
What do you do in that instance? What do you do? Are you crying? Are you licking your wounds? Is your head down, woe is me? I probably would be a little bit. Be honest. Let's see what Paul and Silas did. Well, they did the second thing that we're going to see about worship. The second thing we see about worship is worship is humility. Worship is humility. He says, and the, the psalmist said, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. Humility is, doesn't puff up our chest and say, I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve to be treated this way. And you might not have deserved to be treated that way. It's very possible. But humility sees God, who he is, and we bow to his will. So as we look back at Paul and Silas, what did they do? All beaten, sitting there, chained inside this prison. Acts 17.25 says, and at midnight, what did they do? Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And who else did? We see the Philippian jailer did as well, and the man came to know Christ and his, and his family. Their song wasn't the old, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. <laughs> Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Right? It wasn't that song. And if you are under 35, you have no idea what I just sung. All right? It wasn't that song. Rather, they prayed. Who did they pray to? Who'd they pray to? God. Who did they sing praises to? God. They sang praises to God. They prayed to God. Friends, that is a sign of humility when we feel like the things, that the things are against us and when these things haven't gone the way we think they should go, we still humble ourselves before God. Not my will, but thine be done. Humility. We praise God knowing that he loves us. We praise God, we worship God knowing that his will will be done. We praise God that, that he has found us worthy to do his will as we see the disciples do in the book of Acts. We praise God even in our sorrow because we hold to the fact that we are a child of God. I'm his child. And I know He has a will for my life. And if I endure these, and I still praise the Lord that He has kept me, He has given me a place that is eternal in the heavens, and I will serve the Lord, and I will lift Him up, and I will praise His name. And we as a church need to do that because it focuses us on the Lord. Christian, it is impossible to worship the Lord and to sing praises to Him when there is no humility in our lives. That's impossible. There are times, if we'll be honest, we worship the ground we walk on. We worship the ground that our skills or our talents walk on. We worship the, talent, we worship the, the ground our kids walk on. Or we, the, talent, the team that we, we go after. Or the hobby that we have. And we worship that instead. But note the two requests in verse 6 there. The writer encourages us to bow down to the Lord and to kneel before the Lord. You will only kneel and bow down to someone you respect, admire, or fear. Or all of those. 
Do we respect? Do we admire? Do we fear the Lord that we would physically bow down? That we will, with our hearts, bow down? Have you physically bowed down, kneeled to the Lord? Have you bowed your heart to the Lord? Bowing your heart to the Lord is something that should occur almost every day in our life. Worshiping the Lord should be in nearly every prayer that you have. We're going to have those quick prayers. Please help me with this, Lord. And I understand. But when we are praying, we're taking our time and communing with, we need to bow our hearts. We need to kneel and worship the Lord. It should naturally come when we read the Word of God. That it bows my heart to see what God has done, what God is doing, who He is in light of who I am. And I kneel before the Lord in my, in my heart and maybe physically as well. We should worship the Lord when we get to serve the Lord and as we serve the Lord. Because as we serve the Lord with a humble heart, it is worship. You are worshiping the Lord as you serve Him with a humble heart. It could be here a ministry in this church. It could be a, a, a neighbor that you are ministering to around the corner. It doesn't matter. What, if you have that humble heart, when we sing to the Lord a song, it is worship when we sing it in humility. Ad, ad, admiring the words and, and believing the words that we're singing. Now you can stand up and say all the right words. You can sing every song that comes out here, but we need to sing out to the Lord, to worship the Lord with our heart, from our voice. Let yourself be a little vulnerable there. Sing to the Lord. I don't care what your voice sounds like. I didn't ask you to come do a solo. Just sing to the Lord. He's, us, he's drawn us together so we can worship the Lord together, both in song and in spirit and as, as we serve Him. Now let me take one step back from this. Have you bowed or knee, kneeled to the Lord? I ask that question to everyone that's here today, everyone that's listening or that will watch this later. There will come a day that every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. We will worship the Lord and because of His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, I, just as you, I was on my way to hell for eternity. I was a sinner, but God loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son, his very own son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. And I praise God that I had uh, parents, I had uh, teachers and preachers that shared the good news of Jesus Christ with me. And when they did that, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, as Brother Carr prayed today, when he accepted Christ as his Savior. And I worship the Lord for saving me. But that same good news that saved me and that saved the ones that are sitting around you, He is here to save you as well. It is available to you today as well. God is patient and God is long-suffering and He extends us the lifeline of salvation. But none of us know how long we're going to be here. You don't know if you'll be here next week. And God has told us there, there is no promise of tomorrow. And once this day is gone, we die rejecting Jesus Christ. It is too late. And we will spend eternity away from Him. And we will bow to the Lord at that time, but no longer will we bow to Him as our Savior. We will bow to Him as our judge. 
But he has loved you and he loves you and he has made a way of escape. And I hope you, if you've never accepted Christ today, that you would kneel, that you would bow and cry out to the Lord to save you. Because he tells us, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, have you done that today? If you haven't, today is the day. Call out to him right now. Ask him to save you. And he promises us he will. Now let me finish this with one more point. We see worship is voluntary. Worship is humility. The last thing we see here is worship is acknowledgement. Worship is acknowledgement. What are we acknowledging? The last part of verse 6 says, Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And what, what do I mean by worship is acknowledgement? We've, we've really been looking at this the whole time this morning, but let me put it in more words. When we worship the Lord, it is an acknowledgement of God's control, God's sovereignty in our life, God's blessing. The psalmist called the Lord our maker. The acknowledgement that every fiber of who we are is because of him. Amen. And we worship him. Let me, let me give you an example of this from our Bible reading that we've been doing. Two weeks ago, on week six, we were in Leviticus 14 through Numbers 2. And later in that week, we came to this chapter, uh, Leviticus 23. It was a long one, all right? You might have only done that just that one that day. I don't know. But it was a long chapter. But it gave us a roadmap for worship for the Israelites. In that chapter, the Lord instructs Israel to keep seven different feasts. And I'm just going to run through these. He tells them the, the first one was the Lord's Passover. The next day, there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The end of that week, there was the Feast of First Fruits. Then, the, several months later, many months later, there was the, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. The Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of the Day of Atonement. And the Feast of Tabernacles. You say, oh, great. I don't know what that means. All right, but that, let, me, let me talk to you a bit about this. It's a perfect example of this acknowledgement. Now, we look back at this, as this in this chapter, and it's all kinds, it's rich with symbolism. Uh, we can look back through, you know, by, after the cross, we look back and we see all the meaning that comes with it. But let's look at this from the meaning of the Israelites and what God was doing in their life. We have the Passover. And they worshipped the Lord for the redemption out of Egypt. The Passover, as the, they were able to, the firstborn was saved because of that. Then they have the next day where the, the unleavened bread, the festival of that, and they worship the Lord because He is now communing with them. They are His people. And they get to commune with God in a way that no one on earth had ever communed with God. And they worship the Lord in that. Then they have the festival of uh, the feast of first fruits, the first things of harvest. They're an agricultural society. This is how they survive. And the very first things, and they worship the Lord because He has provided for them these first fruits. Then at the end of that, there's the, the festival or the feast of weeks. Now the full harvest has come in, and they're praising the Lord for it, providing for them and giving them this full feast. There's the, the feast of trumpets and the preparation for the day of atonement, how God has given them the national atonement for their sin. 
And then finally, once again, a memorial for the redemption in the Feast of Tabernacles. You don't need to know all of the details of that. But the point of this is each time, each time a Jewish family took part in these feasts, their eyes were taken off, look what I did, and look what the Lord has done for me. And they began to worship the Lord. They placed all of this on what God had done for them, what God was doing in their lives. They were acknowledging God. Seven times a year, God had set aside this to, for their hearts to be headed in the right direction. We have thanksgiving. We need to do that more often, do we not? We need to acknowledge God for who He is. Now, God didn't do this because he, he needs that praise, their arrogance or narcissistic or anything of that. He knows quite the opposite, that we are prideful people. The need for more than just one day of this. Our hearts start to get lifted up and we lose sight of who we are. We lose sight of who God is in our life. The choir sang this morning, endless praise. Is there endless praise for the Lord in your life? Are you praising the Lord? I ask you, O come, let us worship, bow down, and let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today through His Word. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You for our salvation. Thank you for adopting us. I thank you for the blessings of this life. I thank you for finding us worthy to be your child. And uh, no, we're not worthy, but through your Son, Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, be with the, the many that are here today. Maybe we have started to allow pride to build up in our life, that you would convict, that we would turn to you, that we would worship you, that it would, that it would focus us on you. Dear Heavenly Father, in a crowd this big, we know there is probably someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. Let them realize their need for salvation before it is too late. They would bow their heart and kneel before you, asking Jesus Christ to save them. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You would stand.